Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Planetan, and you're in the right place if you're ready to create an inspired life. And we do so by working on our own personal development. So we can be strong role models for those we love and mentor. And we can be strong for ourselves. And we can be happy, healthy beings in this beautiful planet. Today is the final chapter of week nine in my Queen's University Psych 100 journey. This is open courseware. So if you're listening to this or watching online, you can download every single one of these chapters for free and read or listen along. So let's get started. Chapter 53, happiness, the science of subjective well-being. Subjective well-being is a scientific term for happiness and life satisfaction, thinking and feeling that your life is going well, not badly. Scientists rely primarily on self-report surveys to assess the happiness of individuals, but they have validated these scales with other types of measures. People's level of subjective well-being are influenced by both internal factors, such as personality and outlook, and external factors, such as the society in which they live. Some of the major determinants of subjective well-being are a person's inborn temperament, the quality of their social relationships, the societies they live in, and their ability to meet their basic needs. To some degree, people adapt to conditions so that over time our circumstances may not influence our happiness as much as one might predict they would. Importantly, researchers have also studied the outcomes of subjective well-being and have found that happy people are more likely to be healthier and live longer, to have better social relationships, and to be more productive at work. In other words, people high in subjective well-being seem to be healthier and function more effectively compared to people who are chronically stressed, depressed, or angry. Thus, happiness does not just feel good, but it is good for people and for those around them. The learning objectives in this chapter to keep in the back of your mind as you read along is to describe three major forms of happiness and a cause of each of them. Be able to list two internal causes of subjective well-being and two external causes of subjective well-being. Describe the types of societies that experience the most and least happiness and why they do. Describe the typical course of adaptation to events in terms of the time course of SWB. Describe several of the beneficial outcomes of being a happy person and describe how happiness is typically measured. As mentioned before, I am a student, not a teacher, and I am sharing my journey with you, and that SWB was a subjective well-being. I just wanted to jump up there and take another look at that. All right, let's get started. Introduction. When people describe what they want most out of life, happiness is almost always on the list, and very frequently it is at the top of the list. When people describe what they want in life for their children, they frequently mention health and wealth. Occasionally they mention fame or success, but they almost always mention happiness. People claim that whether their kids are wealthy and work in some prestigious occupation or not, I just want my kids to be happy. Happiness appears to be one of the most important goals for people, if not the most important. But what is it and how do people get it? In this module, I describe happiness or subjective well-being as a process. It results from certain internal and external causes, and in turn, it influences the way people behave as well as their psychological states. Thus, subjective well-being is not just a pleasant outcome, but is an important factor in our future successes. 
because scientists have developed valid ways of measuring happiness, they have come in the past decades to know much about its causes and consequences. Types of happiness. Philosophers debated the nature of happiness for thousands of years, but scientists have recently discovered that happiness means different things. Three major types of happiness are high life satisfaction, frequent positive feelings, and infrequent negative feelings. Subjective well-being is the label given by scientists to the various forms of happiness taken together. Although there are additional forms of SWB, the three in the table below have been studied extensively. The table also shows that the causes of the different types of happiness can be somewhat different. So the three types of happiness, life satisfaction, for example, I think my life is great. I'm satisfied with my job. Causes, a good income, achieving one's goals, high self-esteem. Next, positive feelings. Example, enjoying life and loving others. Causes, supportive friends, interesting work, and extroverted personality. Third, low negative feelings. Example, few chronic worries, rarely sad or angry. Causes, low neuroticism, one goals are in harmony, and a positive outlook. You can see in the table or here, if you're listening to this on the podcast, that there are different causes of happiness and that these causes are not identical for the various types of SWB. Therefore, there is no single key, no magic wand. High SWB is achieved by combining several different important elements. Thus, people who promise to know the key to happiness are oversimplifying. Some people experience all three elements of happiness. They are very satisfied, enjoy life, and have only a few worries or other unpleasant emotions. Other unfortunate people are missing all three. Most of us know individuals who have one type of happiness but not another. For example, imagine an elderly person who is completely satisfied with her life. She has done most everything she ever wanted but is not currently enjoying life that much because of the infirmities of age. There are others who show a different pattern, for example, who really enjoy life but also experience a lot of stress, anger, and worry. And there are those who are having fun but who are dissatisfied and believe they are wasting their lives. Because there are several components to happiness, each with somewhat different causes, there's no magic single cure-all that creates all forms of SWB. This means that to be happy, individuals must acquire each of the different elements that cause it. Causes of subjective well-being. There are external influences on people's happiness, the circumstances in which they live. It is possible for some people to be happy living in poverty with ill health or with a child who has a serious disease, but this is difficult. In contrast, it is easier to be happy if one has supportive family and friends, ample resources to meet one's needs and good health. But even here, there are exceptions. People who are depressed and unhappy while living in excellent circumstances. Thus, people can be happy or unhappy because of their personalities and the way they think about the world or because of the external circumstances in which they live. People vary in their propensity to happiness, in their personalities and outlook, and this means that knowing their living conditions is not enough to predict happiness. 
in the table below are shown internal and external circumstances that influence happiness. There are individual differences in what makes people happy, but the causes in the table are important for most people. Internal causes, top-down influences. Number one, inborn temperament. Description, studies of identical twins raised apart indicate that our genes influence our happiness. Even when raised apart, identical twins tend to be similar in their levels of subjective well-being. Personality and temperament. Personality is partly inborn and partly learned, and it influences our happiness. For example, extroverts tend to have more positive feelings. Neurotics tend to have more negative feelings. Outlook. People can develop habits of noticing the good things in life and interpreting ambiguous events in positive ways. Other people develop negative mental habits, leading to more unhappiness. One's culture also can influence whether we take an optimistic or pessimistic view of life. Resilience. Happy individuals tend to bounce back more quickly after losses and negative events. Next are the external causes or bottom-up influences. Sufficient material resources. The description. People have enough money to meet their basic needs and fulfill their major goals. Sufficient social resources. People differ in their need for social contact, but everyone needs some supportive and trusted others. Family, a friend, or a partner, or sometimes all three. We need other people to lead a fulfilled life. And desirable society. Our own efforts and circumstances influence our happiness, but so does the society in which we live. A society of hunger, war, conflict, and corruption is much less happy than one with material resources, high levels of trust and cooperation, and people who want to help each other. So that was a table of internal and external causes of subjective well-being. Society influences on happiness. When people consider their own happiness, they tend to think of their relationships, successes, and failures, and other personal factors. But a very important influence on how happy people are is the society in which they live. It is easy to forget how important societies and neighborhoods are to people's happiness or unhappiness. They have a map here that presents the satisfaction around the world. And for the most part, it's uh, first world countries that are the happiest with a degradation as it goes on in the economic, socioeconomic standing in the world. And they also have some gray areas that they could not collect happiness data. They were too dangerous or inaccessible. So there you have it. Uh, take a look if you can on YouTube because it's really quite interesting. Can you guess what might make some societies happier than others? Much of North America and Europe have relatively high life satisfaction and much of Africa is low in life satisfaction. For life satisfaction, living in an economically developed nation is helpful because when people must struggle to obtain food, shelter, and other basic necessities, they tend to be dissatisfied with their lives. However, other factors such as trusting and being able to count on others are also crucial to the happiness within nations. Indeed, for enjoying life, our relationships with others seem more important than living in a wealthy society. One factor that predicts unhappiness is conflict. Individuals in nations with high internal conflicts or conflict with neighboring nations 
tend to experience low SWB, subjective well-being. Money and happiness. Will money make you happy? A certain level of income is needed to meet our needs and very poor people are frequently dissatisfied with life. However, having more and more money has diminishing returns. Higher and higher incomes make less and less difference to happiness. Wealthy nations tend to have a higher average life satisfaction than poor nations, but the United States has not experienced a rise in life satisfaction over the past decades, even as income has doubled. The goal is to find a level of income that you can live with and earn. Don't let your aspirations continue to rise so that you always feel poor, no matter how much money you have. Research shows that materialistic people often tend to be less happy, and putting your emphasis on relationships in other areas of life besides just money is a wise strategy. Money can help life satisfaction, but when too many other valuable things are sacrificed to earn a lot of money, such as relationships or taking a less enjoyable job, the pursuit of money can harm happiness. There are stories of wealthy people who are unhappy and of janitors who are very happy. For instance, a number of extremely wealthy people in South Korea have committed suicide recently, apparently brought down by the stress and other negative feelings. On the other hand, there is a hospital janitor who loved her life because she felt that her work in keeping the hospital clean was so important for the patients and nurses. Some millionaires are dissatisfied because they want to be billionaires. Conversely, some people with ordinary incomes are quite happy because they've learned to live within their means and enjoy the less expensive things in life. It is important to always keep in mind that high materialism seems to lower life satisfaction. Valuing money over other things such as relationships can make us dissatisfied. When people think money is more important than everything else, they seem to have a harder time being happy. And unless they make a great deal of money, they are not on average as happy as others. Perhaps in seeking money, they sacrifice other important things too much, such as relationships, spirituality, or following their interests. Or it may be that materialists just can never get enough money to fulfill their dreams. They always want more. To sum up what makes for a happy life, let's take the example of Manoj, a rickshaw driver in Calcutta. He enjoys life despite the hardship and is reasonably satisfied with life. How could he be relatively happy despite his very long income? sometimes even insufficient to buy enough food for his family. The things that make Manoj happy are his family and friends, his religion and his work, which he finds meaningful. His low income does lower his life satisfaction to some degree, but he finds his children to be very rewarding and he gets along well with his neighbors. I also suspect that Manoj's positive temperament and his enjoyment of social relationships help to some degree to overcome his poverty and earn him a place among the happy. However, Manoj would also likely be even more satisfied with life if he had a higher income that allowed more food, better housing, and better medical care for his family. Besides the internal and external factors that influence happiness, there are psychological influences as well, such as our aspirations, social comparisons, and adaptation. People's aspirations are what they want in life, including income, occupation, marriage, and so forth. If people's aspirations are high, they will often strive harder, but there's also a risk of them falling short of their aspirations and being dissatisfied. The goal is to have 
challenging aspirations, but also to be able to adapt to what actually happens in life. One's outlook and resilience are also always very important to happiness. Every person will have disappointments in life, fail at times, and have problems. Thus, happiness comes not to people who never have problems. There are no such individuals, but to people who are able to bounce back from failures and adapt to disappointments. This is why happiness is never caused just by what happens to us, but also includes our outlook on life. Adaptation to circumstances. The process of adaptation is important in understanding happiness. When good and bad events occur, people often react strongly at first, but then their reactions adapt over time and they return to their formal levels of happiness. For instance, many people are euphoric when they first marry, but over time they grow accustomed to the marriage and no longer ecstatic. The marriage becomes commonplace and they return to their formal level of happiness. Few of us think this will happen to us, but the truth is that it usually does. Some people will be a bit happier even years after marriage, but nobody carries that initial high through the years. People also adapt over time to bad events. However, people take a long time to adapt to certain negative events such as unemployment. People become unhappy when they lose their work, but over time they recover to some extent. But even after a number of years, unemployed individuals sometimes have lower life satisfaction, indicating that they have not completely habituated to the experience. However, there are strong individual differences in adaptation, too. Some people are resilient and bounce back quickly after a bad event, and others are fragile and do not ever fully adapt to the bad event. Do you adapt quickly to bad events and bounce back, or do you continue to dwell on a bad event and let it keep you down? An example of adaptation to circumstances is shown in their figure three here, so I hope you're watching this on YouTube which shows the daily moods of Harry, a college student who had Hodgkin's lymphoma. As can be seen over the six-week period when I studied Harry's moods, they went up and down. A few times his moods dropped into the negative zone below the horizontal blue line. Most of the time, Harry's moods were in the positive zone above the line. But about halfway through the study, Harry was told that his cancer was in remission, effectively cured, and his moods on that day spiked way up. But notice that he quickly adapted. The effects of the good news wore off, and Harry adapted back towards where he was before. So even the best news one can imagine, recovering from cancer, was not enough to give Harry a permanent high. Notice, too, however, that Harry's moves averaged a bit higher after cancer remission. Thus, the typical pattern is a strong response to the event and then a dampening of this joy over time. However, even in the long run, the person might be a bit happier or unhappier than before. It's nice to stay above the line in happiness, isn't it? <laughs> Outcomes of a high subjective well-being. Is the state of happiness truly a good thing? Is happiness simply a feel-good state that leaves us unmotivated and ignorant of the world's problems? Should people strive to be happy or are they better off to be grumpy but realistic? Some have argued that happiness is actually a bad thing, leaving us superficial and uncaring. Most of the evidence so far suggests that happy people are healthier, more sociable, more productive, and better citizens. Research shows that the happiest individuals are usually very sociable. Then they have another table below here that summarizes some of the major findings. So the positive outcomes, health and longevity. 
and the description of some of the benefits. Happy and optimistic people have stronger immune systems and fewer cardiovascular diseases. Happy people are more likely to perform healthy behaviors, such as wearing seatbelts, and adhere to medical regimes. They also seem, on average, to live longer. Social relationships. Happy people are more popular, and their relationships are more stable and rewarding. For example, they get divorced less and are fired from work less. They support others more and receive more support from others in return. Productivity. Organizations in which people are positive and satisfied seem to be more successful. Work units with greater subjective well-being are more productive, and companies with happy workers tend to earn more money and develop higher stock prices. And citizenship. Happy people are more likely to donate their time and money to charitable causes and to help others at work. Although it is beneficial generally to be happy, this does not mean that people should be constantly euphoric. In fact, it is appropriate and helpful sometimes to be sad or to worry. At times, a bit of worry mixed with positive feelings make people more creative. Most successful people in the workplace seem to be those who are mostly positive, but sometimes a bit negative. Thus, people need not be a superstar in happiness to be a superstar in life. What is not helpful is to be chronically unhappy. The important question is whether people are satisfied with how happy they are. If you feel mostly positive and satisfied and yet occasionally worry and feel stress, this is probably fine as long as you feel comfortable with this level of happiness. If you are a person who is chronically unhappy much of the time, changes are needed and perhaps professional intervention would help as well. Measuring happiness. SWB researchers have relied primarily on self-report scales to assess happiness, how people rate their own happiness levels on self-report surveys. People respond to a number of scales to indicate their levels of satisfaction, positive feelings, and lack of negative feelings. So they have a link here that I'll include in the show notes that you can see where you stand on these scales or by filling out the flourishing scale below, ah, like that. These measures will give you an idea of what popular scales of happiness are like. The self-report scales have proved to be relatively valid, although people can lie or fool themselves or be influenced by their current moods or situational factors. Because the scales are imperfect, well-being scientists also sometimes use biological measures of happiness. Scientists also use reports by family, co-workers, and friends. These people are reporting how happy they believe the target person is. Other measures are used as well to help overcome some of the shortcomings of the self-reported scales, but most of the field is based on people telling us how happy they are using numbered scales. There are scales to measure life satisfaction, positive and negative feelings, and whether a person is psychologically flourishing. Flourishing has to do with whether a person feels meaning in life, has close relationships, and feels a sense of mastery over important life activities. You can take the well-being scales created by the Diner Laboratory and let others take them too, because they are free and open for use. There we go. Some ways to be happier. Some people are fairly happy, but many of them also wish they could be a bit more satisfied and enjoy life more. Prescriptions about how to achieve more happiness are often oversimplified because happiness has different components and prescription 
need to be aimed at where each individual needs improvement. One size does not fit all. A person might be strong in one area and deficient in other areas. People with prolonged serious unhappiness might need help from a professional. Thus, recommendations for how to achieve happiness are often appropriate for one person, but not for others. With this in mind, I list in table four below some general recommendations for you to be happier. Self-questions for becoming happier. Are there controllable things in your life that could be changed to make your life more meaningful and happy? What are the avenues to change and why haven't you taken them? Do you generally see the bright side of things, the part of the glass that is half full, or do you always see the dark side of things? Can you change this outlook on life by working to break the empty glass view of life? Can you develop more positive mental habits, such as being grateful to others for all of the things they do for you? Are there people around you who make you feel good about yourself and who make your life more enjoyable? How can you reduce the number of downers who might surround you? In your relationships, seek to make others happy and help others, not just receive support from others. The happiest and healthiest people are often those who help others and the world. Beyond actually helping others, express gratefulness to them and be the person who gives lots of compliments. And last, find work that you will love and be good at while being realistic about your chances of finding certain jobs. Don't overweigh the importance of money or status in selecting an occupation. Find a job that interests you and plays to your strengths. If you find a job you love, this could be a big boost to happiness. Well, I really enjoyed that chapter because we all deserve to be happy. We all deserve to flourish in life, right? Well, if you like the show, share it with somebody you know. And, you know, think about the money aspect of this chapter. How much money do you need to be happy? Go back and maybe watch my episode on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, because I use that as a little measurement tool. Because if you can't get past level one, you might need to make more money in order to be happy. But once you've reached that satiated level, well, then you live in flow and you will live a more inspired life.